Imagine a scenario where you're in the mood for a true crime podcast. You take out your headphones and press play on the first recommendation. You're excited to delve into an eerie and chilling case. Is someone missing? Is there a conspiracy about to be uncovered? As you listen to the beginning, you're met with a startling surprise. The podcast sucks. And now imagine that you're listening to a different podcast, one that exceeds your expectations. The storytelling is well done. The details are thoroughly researched. The music is chilling and unsettling. And then there's the best part. You get to listen to my deep and creepy voice. When you listen to Still Unsolved, you get to join us as we bring the true crime genre back to its roots. Every week, we highlight different cases of missing persons, wanted felons, unsolved murders, and the truly bizarre occurrences of life. Subscribe to Still Unsolved wherever you like to listen to your podcasts and join us. With your help, some of these cases may no longer be an unsolved mystery. You're listening to True Crime Feed. to True Crime Feed. I'm your host, Angela Ferrari, reviewing the best true crime podcast from the past decade with a teensy bit of humor, plus my top three true crime picks of the week. Today on the docket, a show from the archives I think you will really, really enjoy. Let's discuss the case for The Glitch. Coming to us from the Australian Network Podshape, hosted by Jay Walkerton. I'm going to skip the description from the show page and give you my own take. This is the story of a man. You may even describe him as a bro. A bro who finds a loophole and exploits it for personal gain. Well, what's so special about this story, Angela? You may ask, and frankly, I don't appreciate the tone. But I get your qualm. Members of U.S. Congress do this all the time. But what makes this story special is that the man at the center has a strict moral code. I mean, yes, he does spend loads of cash on luxury cars, fancy hotels, and casinos. But I maintain that the money never corrupts him. In fact, he does things that are perhaps a little too ethical. Crucial points in this story where you will be begging this man to do the wrong thing. An unbelievable tale, so fun to imagine what you would do if you were placed in such an extraordinary situation. And if you want to take your enjoyment to the next level, go to the truecrimefeed.com and sign up for my newsletter where I curate visual aids to accompany the show. I've got photos of our main subject, a Mr. Dan Saunders at the height of his wealth, detailing his wild ride. All right, so it's time to meet Dan. He grew up in Melbourne, Australia with his mom and dad. They were poor but happy, and Dan had a lot of freedom in his very stereotypical Australian childhood. He recalls playing cricket and footy in the street until the sun went down. Dan and his father were especially close. 
His dad was a very relaxed, go-with-the-flow kind of guy. He didn't care about making money. In fact, warned Dan that money had a strange way of changing people. His father worked in media and told Dan to be dubious of what he saw on the news, telling him never to let the facts get in the way of a good story. And then tragically, when Dan was in his early teens... His father passed away suddenly from a heart attack at the age of 52, and his whole world changed. His mother moved them 1,100 miles away from Melbourne to the Sunshine Coast in Queensland to a town called Kuwana Waters. This place is ballin' now, very affluent area with new real estate development, but back when Dan was a teenager in the early aughts, it was still an up-and-coming sleepy beachside retreat by day and party town by night. A huge culture shock for Dan, who was used to seeing the rat race of Melbourne, going from a leading financial center filled with high achievers to a small seaside town populated with beach bums. This alternative, slow-paced lifestyle made a big impression on him. Dan preferred the party life, and he started partying hard. Some weed, the occasional hallucinogenic drug, but mostly copious amounts of cheap booze and debauchery. And of course, this being Australia, so the risk ratchets up a level simply by partying outdoors amongst snakes, huge spiders, crocodiles, lack of SBF, plus everything is upside down! But Dan somehow manages to make it out of his teenage years in one piece. Then he moves back to Melbourne and starts working at the restaurant at the Crown Casino, where he continues to party. Don't get me wrong, Dan Saunders sounds great at his job, works a 24-hour rotating roster. Buddy may or may have not been drinking rum and Cokes out of a pint glass all day and sneaking into the hotel pool for the occasional dip. Dan was having fun. He made lots of friends and started dating a girl named Belle. One day he even saw David Hasselhoff playing blackjack on the casino floor. But he also saw some unsettling things. Like that time an old lady, she was a regular at the slots, she clearly had a gambling addiction. Well, one day she collapsed, her head slamming against the slot machine, and she passed away. The casino didn't close down the floor. They just staged some curtains around the scene, removed the woman's body, and cleaned up while people around them kept gambling away. A few hours later, that same slot machine was opened back up with a new customer betting away like nothing ever happened. It was upsetting to Dan, but despite this incident, he developed his own slight gambling addiction, betting on footy matches and eventually horse and dog races. Fast forward to 2011, Dan is now in his late 20s, and his girlfriend Belle, she missed home and wanted to go back to school. She moves back to her hometown of Glen Rowan, about two and a half hours northwest of Melbourne. Dan wanted to marry Belle, so he followed her and started working at a bar called Westside Tavern in the nearby town of Wingrata, where he made about $700 a week. Belle and her family were very religious, so she lived at home Dan had his own place near the tavern. He didn't know many people in this new town, but he became fast friends with some of the regulars and people he worked with at Westside Tavern. Dan Saunders was an ordinary, typical working-class Australian bloke. Relatively content, but perhaps a little bit bored and aimless. 
I'm telling you all this so you get a real sense of who Dan is. Perhaps it will help to explain his behavior in the future, because Dan is about to do a whole lot of things you and I probably wouldn't. But at least now we might make sense of this trajectory, because Dan Saunders' life is about to collide with a glitch. A glitch that will turn this ordinary man's entire world upside down. One Tuesday night in February 2011, Dan finishes work and goes out for drinks with his friends in Wingrata. They go to a little bar called Juddies, where the owner will stay open as long as patrons keep buying beer. Dan doesn't get paid till Wednesdays, so he's pretty low on cash. His friend shouts the first few rounds, but Dan wants to keep the party going. So he walks to the ATM around the corner. He checks his account balance. Dan Saunders has a whole $3 in his National Australia Bank savings account. He decides to transfer $200 from his credit card into his NAB savings account and then withdraw the cash. Dan proceeds to make the transfer, but the display shows an error message reading transaction canceled. However, the ATM machine still dispensed $200. Hmm, that was a little odd. Is it just me or is anyone else getting those Zoltar fortune teller machine vibes from the movie Big? Be careful what you wish for. Dan shrugs off the weird glitch and goes back to have a few more pints with his friends. A few hours later, he's stumbling his way back home, and he walks past that same ATM machine. Dan's equal parts buzzed and curious, so he decides to repeat that process, transferring money from his credit card to his savings account, then withdrawing the cash, 200 at a time. And every time, the machine would show an error message saying transaction canceled, but it would still dispense the $200. Dan maxes out his entire $2,000 credit limit and then walks home with the cash. The next morning, he wakes up a little hungover and sees the money on his nightstand. Okay, so that wasn't a dream. He checks his NAB account balance via telephone banking. Kids, ask your parents. His savings account now was negative $1,997. I'm not going to go into all the boring numbers details, but picture a montage of Dan doing a bunch of trial and error and checking his accounts and different balances throughout the day and night to discover that there's a two-hour lag in the system from around 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. when the NAB ATM machines go offline from the banking network. A tiny little window of time when the machines are in standalone mode. They would still dispense cash, but the reconciliation takes place a few hours later. So Dan realizes he can trick the machine by transferring double the amount of money to his account, then withdraw half the cash to cover the balance. As long as he does this every night at the same time, he can essentially create an unlimited amount of cash. Dan Saunders has discovered the ultimate banking glitch. The question now is what should he do with this knowledge? Think about what you would do. It's a tricky scenario because on the one hand, I don't care much for big banks. They get away with their own shady lending loopholes, able to loan out 10 times more money than they actually have on hand, which is pretty messed up when you think about it. It's kind of like telling 10 different dudes that you're going to go to prom with them. Like, how do you make that work? 
hide 10 different dresses in the gym locker room and keep changing looks like a Mrs. Doubtfire type scenario? And then while you're slow dancing with one date to the tune of Truly Madly Deeply by Savage Garden, one of your other nine dates starts choking on a spicy chicken wing. Ugh, and you know Stuart's allergic to cayenne pepper, so you hop across the buffet table. Help is on the way, dear! And you start administering the Heimlich until your date coughs up the chicken bone, but at this point, the music has stopped and the whole gymnasium has discovered your deception. Yeah, I know. That sounds ridiculous. Almost as ridiculous as the phrase, we're not at any risk for a banking crisis anytime in the very near future. (laughs) Anyway, so banks are allowed to do their thing, but Dan exploiting the glitch would be considered a form of fraud via theft by finding. It's not exactly like he's waking up and discovering an additional $1.5 million in his account all at once. This is an active process of transferring a little bit of money at a time and then putting it into an account. Harder to deny is human error the more you repeat it. So most of us probably wouldn't exploit the glitch more than once, maybe twice, and then never tell anyone about it. But that's not what Dan Saunders does. He takes things to a daring level, more audacious than the amount of chest hair David Hasselhoff feels comfortable exposing in a public setting. Or as the Hoff prefers to call it, his carpet of virility. What follows is a series of events that I believe to be about 80% true, due to Dan Saunders being inebriated throughout much of the action, compounded with the fact that his father told him never to let the facts get in the way of a good story. So I don't trust Dan's total recall of exact details, but I do believe this sentiment behind his actions to be 100% genuine. So buckle up, here we go, the ride's moving. Dan starts out with a little bit of cash at first, shouting friends at the West End Tavern, then eventually buying rounds for everyone at the bar. Then he would place large bills out on the sidewalk in front of the bar and watch with delight as random pedestrians would gleefully stumble across them. After two weeks, he figured out how to increase his credit limit, therefore increasing the amount of money in his savings account. So now with his new high limit credit card, he was able to play with tens of thousands of dollars at a time. And it would all work out as long as he made that transfer at the NAB ATM machine during that magic hour every single night. Dan was also placing big bets on horse races, or punting, as the Aussies say. I think his plan was to make the money back by winning big at the tracks. But this plan backfired. He was a better-than-average punter, but he was placing these bets while working at the tavern and using money from the till at the bar, then reconciling it later. So even though he was replacing all of the money that he spent, the spike in the amount of sales on a slow Wednesday night gave the owners cause for concern. So this move got Dan fired. The same day he was given the sack, he got a text message from his longtime girlfriend, Belle. A breakup message that essentially said, I don't know what sort of scheme you're up to, Dan, but I don't want any part of it. And with that, the woman he's dated for the past four years who he moved to Wayne Grotta for, and who he thought he would eventually marry had just ended things with him. So fresh off a brutal heartbreak, his whole future in question, Dan grabs one of his best mates and the two hop on a train destined for Melbourne, where they check in at the Crown Towers. This time, instead of working in the food and beverage department, Dan's rolling in with his magic credit card, getting the royal VIP treatment. He starts by renting a room for $600 a night. Eventually, he will rent out the entire floor. 
And that first night, he goes out for a nice meal with his friend. Eventually, he would be eating at the best restaurants around Australia and sending expensive bottles of champagne to every table. The first month, he spends $50,000 total. Dan figures out how to maneuver more cash into his NAB savings account to the tune of $5 million. Now he could take the money straight out of the bank. But even though he's flush with cash, he's still being treated like a commoner. His friends suggest they need to steer into the role a little more, really look the part of the uber-rich. So, Dan gets a crew together and they jet up to Bondi Beach, where they get spray tans, their teeth whitened, buy some expensive suits and luggage. Now, they pass as legit rich businessmen. And when strangers would ask Dan what line of work he was in, he would convincingly reply with, I'm an investor. Over the next few months, Dan does make some interesting investments. Yes, there's the obligatory nights at strip clubs with bottle service, plus gambling, plus five-star hotels. Ian, after working in hospitality for most of his 20s, Dan has developed some expensive taste in food and drinks. Before, he could only have a mere taste of these things. Now Dan was experiencing multi-course meals filled with beluga caviar, coffin bay oysters, wagyu beef, and bottles of Dom. It became a fun experiment for Dan to see how differently strangers would treat him now that they thought he was loaded. He was being noticed and respected like never before in his life. He's an average-looking bloke, uh, points for being over six feet. But now, all of a sudden, women with supermodel looks who would never give him the time of day were approaching him for dates. Dan loved giving people the pretty woman experience. Taking five strippers to Prada for a no-limit shopping spree. He also met a random couple one night at a hibachi table, and he heard them talking about how they really wanted to go to Hawaii for their honeymoon. Dan gave them the funds to make it happen. He came across another woman whose dream was to learn how to speak French in France. So Dan paid her tuition, and she was able to go to school in Paris. One day, a homeless man asked Dan for some change. He did the guy one better, putting him up in a Hilton hotel. But a few days later, the front desk called saying, um, excuse me, Mr. Sanders, there seems to be some items missing from your hotel room. These items included towels, bathrobes, and the TV. Dan laughed the whole thing off and charged it to his card. He loved the thought of this man walking around out there in a cozy bathrobe from the Hilton. One night, Dan rented a bus and made stops at hostels all around the city, picking up backpackers and inviting them to a huge pool party at a luxury home in the Yarra Valley. He even pulled some dumb pranks, daring people to do stupid things for money. One example, he became friendly with a waiter at this fancy Italian restaurant. He dared the waiter to drop an expensive crystal bowl filled with tiramisu in the middle of a crowded dining room. The waiter obliged for 600 bucks. During all of this, NAB was in constant contact with Dan, but it was for security purposes, ensuring that Dan Saunders was the one spending the money. And this was not the case of his card being stolen. It was clear to Dan the bank had no clue what was actually going on. 
By month four, Dan had hotel suites booked in every city around Australia, and he would hop on a private jet, partying from place to place. His spending grew exponentially, placing huge bets on horse races and footy matches, spending more money in a single day than he'd make in an entire year. He was having the time of his life, but soon that feeling changed to overwhelming stress. Dan had nightmares of SWAT bursting through his door at any moment to bust him. He was getting physical symptoms of being anxious. Eye twitches, panic attacks, feeling like he was going to have a heart attack. It was becoming too much. So one day, he decided it was time to walk away. Dan told his close inner circle friends who knew what was going on that he planned on stopping the transfers. They thought he was crazy, but Dan felt if he didn't stop, he was going to die. He gave a couple of friends final access to the account, saying, I don't care how much you take or what you do with the money, I just don't want to know about it. Then he went to bed. For the first time in over four months, Dan Saunders did not go to an NAB ATM machine at 2 a.m. during that magic window and make a transfer. He had about 80 grand left in cash, so he held up in a hotel room and waited for the bank to call, knowing at any minute they're going to notice that discrepancy in his account. I mean, he had no income for months, but still managed to overdraw his account by $1.6 million. How could they miss that? But the bank never called. He got a few automated notices, but that was it. You would think Dan would feel relieved. If they didn't notice by now, maybe he was off the hook. But Dan was not relieved. He still felt the stress and wanted the whole thing to just be over with. So he decides to make contact. He calls up his NAB branch and speaks to the manager named Bernie. He doesn't come clean and say exactly what's going on. He just says, hey, I've noticed some strange activity on my account. But Bernie sees what's going on right away and tells him, you're in a lot of trouble telling Dan he's about to call the police. Dan waits. But again, the police never come. A month goes by. The $80,000 eventually runs out. Dan couch surfs for a while and then eventually gets another hospitality job. Three months goes by. Still no word from the banks or the authorities. And this is where we come to the part of the story when a very relatable Dan does something I will never understand. He contacts the media, reaching out anonymously to a reporter from a large Australian publication, and he tells the whole story. The reporter is pumped. This is the scoop of a lifetime. They go back and forth for a month. Dan dishes out all the dirty details. And just as the article is about to run, Dan Saunders and the reporter both get word from the higher-ups that they have to kill the article because of a brand conflict. You see, NAB was a major sponsor of the publication, and this article would make the bank look bad. So the article never ran. But now Dan knows exactly what's going on. NAB isn't coming to arrest him because it would be such a public scandal for them and such a bad look. They probably just wrote off the debt and wanted to make the whole thing disappear. But not Dan. Three years have gone by at this point, but Dan still couldn't settle. 
He can't explain himself, even now, other than to claim he wasn't of sound mind and just needed resolution once and for all. For whatever reason, Dan Saunders contacted several media outlets, this time giving them full permission to use his name and image. The story breaks, and it's a sensation. Staged photos of Dan reenacting his wild ride, posing inside a private jet flanked by gorgeous women. National Australia Bank could no longer ignore Dan or the scandal. They finally arrest him and charge him with 111 counts for fraud and theft. In 2015, his case goes to trial. He pays for his lawyer out of his still active NAB bank account. Everyone at his trial seems a little bit confused at this ordeal. His defense was able to prove that none of the money Dan spent actually came from depositors. Because, you know, that whole funny business where the bank only needs to hold 10% of what actually loans out. So despite the fact that the money he was spending was entirely made up out of thin air, Dan was sentenced to 18 months in prison. It certainly wasn't a pleasant experience, but Dan Saunders finally felt like he had reclaimed his life once again. He now lives in Byron Bay and continues to work in hospitality for about 22 bucks an hour. I'm sure you have some questions for Dan, and luckily for us, the glitch answers a lot of them. Questions like, why didn't he invest money in overseas accounts or just become an international fugitive? For Dan, it wasn't about the money. As he likes to say, it was all about the good time. If Dan fled the country, he knew he could no longer visit his mom or drink beer and watch the footy matches with his best mates. And that's what he cherished most in the whole world. At one point, the glitch host Jay Walkerton asks Dan if he hid any cash. And of course, Dan doesn't admit to anything like that on the podcast, but he does tell the story of one of his friends who he keeps anonymous, a friend who Dan lent money to, and who invested in a bunch of Bitcoin back when it was dirt cheap. Now it would be worth a fortune. This guy went on to become very rich and successful and offered to buy Dan a brand new car when he got out of prison. In the end, Dan did lose a lot of friends after his arrest, people who were afraid to be implicated, but he still has a couple of his longtime loyal friends, his drinking buddies that he sat beside before, during, and after his high-rolling adventure. The Glitch Podcast isn't a perfect show. Your enjoyment of it will all depend on how likable you find Dan Saunders. Personally, I'm a Dan stan, so I loved The Glitch. The story of an ordinary man who finds himself in an extraordinary situation. But it's so much more than that. It's also the story of class and modern financial systems. The fine line between committing fraud versus benefiting from a loophole. At one point, the glitch references the only good scene in the movie The Wolf of Wall Street. A film that was bankrolled with stolen money from the Malaysian Sovereign Wealth Fund. But that's a story for another time. They reference that glorious monologue given by Matthew McConaughey. This whole thing's a fugazi. It's all made up, just like fairy dust floating around. It never lands. It doesn't exist. And we all know it. And Dan Saunders had the kookaburras to walk away from the magical made-up money machine. Ugh, I love it. This is such a fun story to imagine yourself in. Sort of like a choose-your-own-adventure. 
what would you have done differently than our friend Dan Saunders? I would love to hear your thoughts on this case. You can email me directly at Angela at the truecrimefeed.com or join that True Crime Feed Facebook discussion group. Keep an open mind and be kind to fellow True Crime Feed friends. Stay tuned till after the break to hear my top three podcast power ranking of the week. Ah, hey you. I'm so glad we found each other and get to share our special love for true crime podcasts. I don't ever want you to miss out on a wild story. That would be a crime in itself. So be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast app and share your favorite episode with a friend so the next time you see each other, you can splurge about your latest true crime obsession. Thanks for spreading the word. And now back to the show. And we're back. Here are the three shows currently trending that I think are worth a listen. I present to you this week's podcast power ranking. At the number three spot, we have Varmintown. Here's a rundown from the show page. Two years ago, Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks, called investigative journalist Joshua Davis with a strange story. Kyle had heard a rumor that Pablo Escobar did a deal in the early 1980s with a remote, coastal southern town of 300 people. In exchange for vast wealth and limitless cocaine, Escobar would be allowed to land planes and ships in the area. Over the last 24 months, Josh and Kyle investigated the rumor, journeying to Varmintown to knock on doors and find out what really happens when a fire hose of money and cocaine is turned on a small, tight-knit community. Currently on episode three, and I keep saying to myself, how have I not heard of this one before? This is one of those podcasts where if you were listening on public transit, people would start side-eyeing you for making emoji face expressions and spontaneous utterances. So treat yourself to a trip to the wacky Varmintown. At the number two spot, we have the Runaway Princesses. Here's a synopsis from the show page. The wives and daughters of Dubai's ruler live in unbelievable luxury. So why do the women and Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? The New Yorker staff writer Heidi Blake joins In the Dark's Madeline Barron to tell the story of the royal women who risked everything to flee the brutality of one of the world's most powerful men. I just completed the series and uh, this one gets really sad. It's a must listen now. Now, when you hear about Dubai popping up in the news, you're going to have some different feelings about it. Madeline Barron, Heidi Blake, and the whole New Yorker team put together an incredible project at great risk. But now the truth is out there and we know the real story of the Runaway Princesses. I was fully expecting Runaway Princesses to be my number one show of the week. I didn't see how anyone else could beat it until I heard this next show that swooped in and claimed the top spot. Without further ado, at the number one spot, we have Hello, John Doe. Here's a synopsis from the show page. At age 45, Steve Patterson made a shocking online discovery. 
his own missing persons page. Desperate to uncover why he had been included on the list, Steve called Todd Matthews, a missing persons investigator, in search of answers. Together, Todd and Steve discover a sordid family past that includes long-lost relatives, kidnappings, and murders. Hello, John Doe is a winding, poignant tale that explores what it means to be lost and found. I'm currently on episode two, but it only took one minute for me to be hooked on this show. And that's all because of Todd. It's not just his charming, rich Tennessee accent. It's the fact that he has such a good ear for his own storytelling. His obsession for investigating all combined with this absolutely unbelievable case. It makes this show one of the best ones I've come across in a long, long time. I am so deeply touched and amused by this authentic voice. Ugh, I just, I love this one so much. I can't wait for you all to hear it. I know you're going to love it too. And I'm frankly shocked that this podcast isn't ranking higher because it's crystal clear number one for me. And again, that's Hello, John Doe. Now for my miss of the week. We have Up and Vanished season four in the Midnight Sun. Here's a synopsis from the show page. Up and Vanished investigates mysterious cold case disappearances. In this latest season, host Payne Lindsay heads to the edge of the Arctic Circle to Nome, Alaska to investigate the case of missing Alaska native Florence Okpiluk. All right, so this is currently the number one show on the charts right now, so I get my opinions unpopular. But unlike Todd Matthews from Hello, John Doe, this is a show where the narrator inserting himself severely hurts the story. First, I do have to disclose that I did have a bias against Payne Lindsay for a long time. It stemmed from online gossip of him acting kind of douchey towards other show hosts at a podcast event following the success of his first season of Up and Vanished that helped solve the case of Tara Grinstead. My distaste for him was compounded by the spot-on podcast parody of his show called Don Disappeared, hosted by a man who went by the name John David Booter. I had a hard time taking pain serious after all that, but over the past eight years, it sounds like he's gone through quite an evolution. He's made a big effort to make amends and ingratiate himself with the true crime community. I respect the work he's done creating Tenderfoot TV. They've put out some incredible shows like The Freeway Phantom. I do my best now to keep an open mind with any new Payne Lindsay project. That being said, dude, I cannot stomach this new season of Up and Vanished. I think the case selection is excellent, but his delivery is all over the place. I'm having a real hard time following along with this meandering story. So while Payne continues to ramble, I'm going to go ahead and do a little French exit and sneak away from this current season of Up and Vanished in the Midnight Sun. Find out next week if Hello John Doe will remain in the number one spot as the series continues or if a new show will swoop in and take its place. Let me know what trending shows are in your top three and what show did you have to discreetly exit from. I'll meet you back here next week to dust off another superb true crime show from the archive for your next feeding fix.
that's all for today's true crime feed. Don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I post links to my top three favorite shows of the week and bring you fabulous visual aids for every episode. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the conversation, especially Instagram where I'm making those dank memes for every episode. And if you enjoyed today's story, please leave a review and tell your fellow partners in crime to tune in to True Crime Feed. Thanks for riding along and allowing me to be your audio accomplice. Join me next week for another feeding.